Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. You know, this is not the typical door-to-door. You know, would you like to go to heaven? All you have to do is to pray this prayer. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Repeat after me. Congratulations, you're in. You know, it reminds me of a missionary one time in Belize. He was in Belize. And so he, he got an airplane. He set up his airplane with a loudspeaker, big loudspeaker, and he flew over that country telling the people that all you gotta do is pray this prayer. And then he asked them to raise their hand. From the, you know, he's in the airplane. He's looking down. Raise your hand if you prayed the prayer. And when he was finished, he he got out and he told everybody, I got the whole country of Belize saved, right? On their way to heaven. Well, somehow, raising your hand at a plane in the sky doesn't quite line up with the word strive. Strive in, in Luke 13, 34, strive to enter in. So the point that the Lord is making here is that there's a narrow gate and there's a point, there's a point in time when a person enters in through that narrow gate. And this is the point in time that the Lord was talking about when he was talking to, to, to Nicodemus in, in, in John 3, in John 3, 3, and John 3, 5, when he said, John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he went on in verse 5, he said, Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter You can't see it, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. We're talking about a gate that can be entered into. The gate of being born again is hard to enter into, but the gate is a gate that's open, and it's open into a road, and the purpose of that gate is to get on the road. Get on the road because he's talking about there's no gate, then there's a road. Doing to, uh, what's that road? Verse 12, doing to others as you would want done to you. And this is where the context becomes so important between verses 12 and 13, especially if you use verse 13 as seeing a person, as he starts off by explaining, who is on that wide road to destruction, to hell, with a narrow gate that's available to him. And you ask yourself the verse 12 question to tie it in with verse 13, and you say, if I was that person, if I was that person, in verse 13, who is on the wide road leading to hell, and there's a narrow road, a narrow gate available to me, what would I want someone to do for me? That's the verse 12. What would I want? You know, Jim McDonald oftentimes prays when he's together. He prays, he says, Lord, thank you for that person who spoke to each one of us and, 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 and brought us to the Lord. That's the tie 
between verse 12 and 13, the Lord is asking us to look at a person who, that we know who's far from God, he's lost, he's on his way to hell, and bring that person so close to us that we ask ourselves the question, if I were him, if I was as lost as he is, what would I want others to do for me? What would I want others to say to me? So to bring me to that, that, that narrow gate to be saved. <clears throat> now the Lord has described this gate in a way in, in verse 14 because he says the gate is straight, the narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it. He's got several descriptions here. I mean, first it's a narrow gate. It leads to a narrow way it's a, of life. It's eternal life. Now, we've already considered the narrow gate. Now, let's consider the narrow way that, that, a, that, that, that a person enters into when he goes through that gate. What is that way like? That way is a way of faith. It's, it's a way of faith and serious godly living, the kind of serious godly living that's described in verse 12. And after a person enters in through that narrow gate, he finds a lot of new things. He finds a new life, he finds a new heart and spirit, he finds a new way to make decisions in life, he finds a new way to see life, and he finds new interests in life. Now, the most dramatic discovery that a person makes after he's entered into that narrow gate is a new life. It's a new life from having cried out to the Lord Jesus as, as, as God the Son and and now he has God the Son in his life, and he has God the Son, he knows he has God the Son in his life, and he has new life, new life from 1 John 5, 12. 1 John 5, 12, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Very simple. Anyone who has passed through that narrow gate is aware, keenly aware, that he has the Lord Jesus Christ in his life. He has a new life. And <clears throat> he's surprised. He's surprised to discover that he has nothing less than a new heart. Also, he has got a new heart, he's got a new spirit that comes from this relationship, this new relationship with God, where he feels that there's, there's something very different in my relationship with God. I, I, I feel now that God is really my father and, and, and I am a son, and this new heart and this new spirit is a gift from God, as it says in Jeremiah 24, 7. Jeremiah 24, 7. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and they shall return to me with their whole heart. Anyone who has passed through this narrow gate knows that something very significant has happened to him. He knows that he knows he knows that he knows the Lord in a very new relationship, in a relationship where the Lord is his father and he's, one of, he's a child of God. And this is so real to this person that if a lost person says to him, look, all you got is religion. You got religion. You had an experience like any other person in any other religion. That's all. Now, he can hear the words of that lost person and he can try to explain but it all comes down to he knows that he knows. He knows that he knows that God is his father and, and, and he has what others cannot see and, 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 that's the, and they cannot hear because what he's hearing is a silent voice of the Holy Spirit inside of him telling him you really are a child of God 
as described in Romans 8.16. Romans 8.16, which says, the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's a very distinct, silent voice that's telling him, you're a child of God. So as, as a lost person is trying to reason him out of being religious, the person has, 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 who has entered into this narrow gate, he's actually hearing two voices. He's hearing the, the first voice is audible. It's coming from the lost person trying to reason him out of religion. They come on, give up this stuff. And the second voice he's hearing is silent. But the second voice is, is, is loud. It's a silent voice that's loud because it's, it, it's telling him there's no doubt, there's no doubt that you are right to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are a child of God. He can't explain it. It's a silent voice of the Holy Spirit that's so loud in him that he knows that he knows that he's a child of God. It's just like in Paul's conversion. Paul's conversion experience on the road to Damascus, Paul described it in Acts 22.9, Acts 22.9, when he said, they that were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. Actually, the Greek is saying they didn't understand the, 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 the voice. They didn't know what was being said. So everyone saw the light around Paul, but only Paul understood what was being said to him. The others didn't understand what Paul was being told. As a matter of fact, before passing through this narrow gate, a person might, might call God his father. He might actually say words like, our father, which art in heaven. But for him to speak in a normal conversation apart from, from our father, which art in heaven talk, and call God his father was just a little awkward. Just a little awkward. But now, he's got a complete liberty to call God his father. That's because after, after he's gone through this narrow gate, he knows that God has given him a special authority, a right a privilege to call himself one of the children of God. And this is what's referred to in John 1.12, John 1.12. As many as received him, to them gave he power, to them gave he the right, to them gave he the authority, the privilege to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So as he moves along, as this person has just entered into this gate, we're talking about the way, and he's on this way, he's moving along in life, he's going down the way in life in this, in this, this road, and now all of a sudden, he's got a brand new basis for making decisions in life. And it all comes from what he now sees that he never saw before. Because now, we talked about hearing the, 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 the silent voice, well, so that sounds, how can you hear a silent voice? But he can. But now he sees the invisible. How can you see the invisible? But he does, because he's got new eyes. He's got eyes of faith. Just like Moses with his eyes of faith, he saw the invisible Lord in, in, in Hebrews eleven twenty seven. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. Moses, by faith he forsook Israel. Israel. He forsake Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. <clears throat> that verse again, 1127, boils down to, by faith, seeing him who is invisible. He's got eyes of faith now, and he can see him that's invisible. After entering to that narrow gate, he feels like David did, when David, with his eyes of faith, said he constantly saw the invisible Lord in, in Acts 2.25, Acts 
For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He's on my right hand that I should not be moved. See, he says in Acts 2.25, I foresaw the Lord always before my faith. After, after, after entering in through this narrow gate, he finds himself looking also like what David did, constantly at things that can't be seen in, in 2 Corinthians 4.18, 2 Corinthians 4.18. While we, look at, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. We are looking at things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. So he can see things that are invisible because he's got these eyes of faith, and he tries to describe the wonders of what he's seeing to, to others, and <clears throat> he might as well be casting pearls before swine. He, they can't understand that lost person looks at him as he's trying to describe all these things he's seeing with the eyes of faith, and he says, and the lost person says to him, I have no idea what you're talking about. I can't see anything about what you're talking about. And that beca- that's so because the lost person doesn't have the eyes of faith, he can't see. So, so he uses his eyes, uses it. we use our eyes, we use our eyes to walk. We use our eyes to walk. We look, and based on what we see, we make decisions where to walk. Walking down the sidewalk, we see a hole in the sidewalk, and we decide, I'm not gonna walk there. So we walk someplace else, because we don't wanna fall in the hole. So we are walking by sight in this way. We're walking by sight. We make decisions where to walk based on what we see. But the hymn describes eyes of faith. The hymn describes eyes of, eyes of faith when it says, my faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Now hear me while I pray. Take my guilt away. Let me from this day be holy thine. So the person who has entered into this, this narrow gate no longer makes decisions in life based on what he sees with his physical eyes. Now he's got eyes of faith. He can see the invisible. And so now his basis for making decisions is 2 Corinthians 5, 7. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And anyone who's passed through that narrow gate now has this new way to make decisions in life based not on sight, based not on self-reliance, but based on what is not seen, based on trust in God. So anyone who's entered into this narrow gate has this. Now another thing that's happened is that anyone who's entered into this narrow gate in the new way has got a complete overhaul of his life. Overhaul. He's gone just like old ways out, new ways in. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.17 is saying. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away, all, behold, all things are become new. Old things out, new things in. And anyone who has <clears throat> passed through this narrow gate now has these, these new interests in life. It's like, it's like the bend in the metal is, is being changed. He's now interested in being with the minority of the saved believers and not with the majority of the lost and away from God. The world's entertainments, it's not entertaining to him anymore. It's very, he's very much aware that he is swimming against the stream. But anyone who's entered in through this narrow gate also has found that it's not an easy life. It's not an easy life. It reminds me of, of some of my 
ultra orthodox friends, they, 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 that the ones that we try to convert each other. But anyway, they always say to me, "There's, it's not easy to live the way we do." But it, but it's not easy to anyone who enters into this gate because the person becomes aware of a new warfare that he's like it or not, he's in it. And anyone who's entered in through that gate has become aware that now he's in the, he's in, he's, there's a war going on. It's not a normal war, become, but, he, but it's, it's, it's like a wrestling type of endurance uh, war. And it's, it's not against man, but it's against the unseen, forces that are not seen, they're not human. Ephesians 6.12, Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so he's got this warfare going on, he's aware of, and, 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 but there's another front to this warfare. That's one front of the war, but there's another front, that, that front that, that he's aware, that, that I was just talking about, that's the front of external forces of darkness. But there's, there's two fronts now. And this other front is, is, is spoken about in Romans 7.23, Romans 7.23. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind... I serve the law of God, but the flesh, the law of sin. So anyone who's entered into this narrow gate now sees that he's got a spiritual war going on the outside. That's one front against the devil and the powers of darkness. He's also got a warfare going on in another front against his own personal sinful desires. And the struggle against personal sinful desires, it's a fight. It's no less a fight than the one against the spirits. And that's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 9.26, 1 Corinthians 9.26, I therefore so run, not certainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. So the battle <clears throat> against the internal forces of personal sin is a battle with a calling to take no prisoners, take no prisoners, put all to death, every sinful desire in a process that the Bible calls mortification. It doesn't call it imprisonment, it calls it mortification. Colossians 3.5, Colossians 3.5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil conspicuous, anyway, that word, and covetousness, which is idolatry. But, but he soon finds out, after he's entered into this, he's on this war against a personal sinful desires, he soon finds out that he can't do it alone. He's not able alone to put to death all these sinful tendencies, and he needs help. And, and, and God says, I know you need help, and I'm not leaving you without help, because in your process to take no prisoners and put to death every sinful desire, I'm sending you the help. It's God the Holy Spirit. So God the Holy Spirit comes to help him in Romans 8.13, Romans 8.13. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. So now he's got help through the Spirit in the mortification. It's one thing 
to fight an evil enemy that's without, it's really far more difficult to fight the sinful enemy of the flesh that's within. But anyone who's passed through that narrow gate, he realizes the warfare on two fronts, the external and the internal. And the warfare now requires new weapons, effective weapons, because this is not a warfare against flesh and blood, it's a warfare where the, the traditional weapons against flesh and blood, they're not working, so they won't work. So the new weapons that he needs are called in the scripture mighty weapons, mighty weapons because they don't come from God. In, in 2 Corinthians 10.4, 2 Corinthians 10.4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So, for example, what has he got for his new warfare? He's got a, he's got a complete set of armor that comes from God. In Ephesians 6.13, 6, Ephesians 6.13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you might be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Now there's three very important parts uh, uh, that, that make a difference in, in his battle, his battle for him to be effective. And these three parts are listed in 2 Corinthians 6, 7. 2 Corinthians 6, 7, where it says, by, number one, the word of truth, by the, number two, power of God, by the, number three, armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. So the first part that's being spoken about in, in, in his warfare is the word of truth, 2 Corinthians 6, 7, the word of truth. That's the weapon of it is written. That's the weapon of the Bible says. That's the weapon which is called in Ephesians 6.17, Ephesians 6.17, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. There's great power to, in, in relying on that sword of the Bible says. And, and, okay. and then the second part, which we referred to here, is called the power of God. He doesn't rely on his own power. He doesn't rely on his own strength in this battle. He relies on the power of God. And then the third part here, referred to in 2 Corinthians 6, 7, is the armor of righteousness, the armor of righteousness. Now, if there's one downfall in, in, in life for him, it, it, it's, just, it's a life that would harbor a secret sin. That will be hit, become his Achilles heel. That's his point of vulnerability that will bring him down. And, he, and, and as he realizes this, then he is quick to use and rely on 1 John 1.9, 1 John 1.9. He's quick to, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you could say in that 1 John 1.9, the words right now, if we confess our sins right now, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins right now and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness right now. Now, <clears throat> so there's something that he has that comes from him. There's something that he has in this battle that does come from him. It doesn't come from God, it comes from him. And this is so powerful that, what comes, that when he uses it, he gets victory over this filthy, sinful, perverted world that's all around him. And what's coming from him that's very important in his battle is it's described in 1 John 5, 9, 5, 4, 1 John 5, 4, 1 John 5, 4. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, 
And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 